Cinema Spectator, a movie podcast, is produced because of listeners like you. If you want to support our show, you can share it, give us a rating on iTunes, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ecfsproductions, where you can throw a couple dollars our way and get access to our exclusive content. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch classic movies to see if they hold up for the modern viewer. Today's film, Tokyo Story, directed by Yasujiro Ozu, starring Chishu Ryu and Setsuko Hara. My name is Cameron Tuttle and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. I am so glad I do not host this show. I know I've already said that once this month, (laughs) but man, I would be... Probably canceled just for trying to pronounce uh, the the name is on this pod for this well, month with the with the Ozu. Movies, yeah, these but. characters that we're going to talk about today are going to be um, going to be a little bit challenging, I think, for me. So uh, please please forgive me. Chishiro and Setsukahara are they're like they're those are the two, you know. So I know them. I know how to say their name, kind of maybe. I if you criticize me, you know. Uh, that's fine whatever but um but i mean they they are some challenging names some challenging names i don't know how i'm supposed to reference people in this, this movie. <laughs> so i think i'm just going to be like daughter-in-law or grandpa you know yeah yeah that's so, fine it's so uh, funny we were talking earlier before we started recording and i was like oh on wikipedia they have an amazing chart that's the family tree for this movie um let's let's pull it up so that we can <laughs> reference it throughout the movie uh because we're gonna need something like that um i make it sound more complicated than it is but yeah it's not uh, that bad it's not that bad but you know just to just to keep everything in track you know i'll, I'll be forgetting names i'll be going all over the place uh you know so um isaac how are you doing we hung out uh yes, this weekend yes. uh or on friday or whatever um and we watched matchstick men together have you yeah. you haven't seen any other movies other than that right it's just no i i i've had a pretty like i'm good but last week i was not so good i mean you saw me at the tail end <laughs> yeah. of of the work week i've been uh just dealing with like a special client customer uh with my work where it's sort of like feels like you're working for two companies at the same time yeah um, that's the best way i could put it where you're trying to please one client and they really like you and then you're trying to please like the company you work for and they really like you but sometimes it feels like you're the middleman and they don't really like you know it, it, it it's like you say one thing over here and then you come back to your boss being like yeah this is what i told him they're like why'd you say that i'm like uh <laughs> yeah i don't know uh, <laughs> so yeah it, it's it was an interesting experience but i think we we just made it through um which is is good and people seem to be uh, in good spirits again. At least that's how it was in the office uh, this mm. week, and most of my job's done. So, uh, survive that. My wife had. Um, if if you guys don't know, Jules is a music artist, so she just had um, one of her one of her songs come out. We put a lot of work into it. I was literally working on some of the stuff before going on to the show today. Um, so she has a new pop single. I remember I showed it to you on your bachelor party cameron in tahoe mm. before we went to that uh weird freezer 
uh, speakeasy or whatever. Like that was really cool. That was a that was kind of a that was a very trippy. Yeah, I like that moment. speakeasy. Yeah. yeah, in um, a in a big uh, industrial fridge that they they open the door and then you walk into it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I'll I'll stop my rambling, but yes, lot lots lots going on this last week, but it was very great to end the week. Our uh, friend and fan of the show, Tim Smith, hosted um, myself, you, Cameron, and uh, Juzo, who has been on most of the episodes this year, um, to watch a movie. And you know he's a good host when he agrees to watch a movie that he didn't really want to watch. <laughs> um, but it it was a lot of fun, you know. Match Matchstick Men. Pretty. Uh, I I was um, pleasantly su- surprised. You know, Ridley Scott which doesn't make any sense. Like really a lot of the, it feels like a bunch of talent was forced to make a movie that they really wouldn't want to be a part of. And they made the best of it. That's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of how I felt about it. Yeah, maybe um, the thing that's weird is like, it's a very, um, it's kind of a happier feeling movie than a lot of like Ridley Scott movies. Um, there's like, you know, and it's it's a much more like weird movie than his movies usually are. Yeah, yeah. Um and I don't know. I just love I love Nicolas Cage, so seeing him kind of goof around and and be this like hyper uh you know, OCD uh like neurotic guy is just like so funny. Um you know, and then like yeah, I had never seen it before. So, you know, all the all the stuff that happens with the story, I think it's awesome. You could tell that like there's there's a little restraint in terms of like the the budget and like all that kind of stuff, you know? There's like it's not like a a Ridley like he he made Gladiator, Gladiator before this. So, it's not like a 100 million dollar, you know, historical epic that he's making um in this movie. It's very much a kind of sillier small scale movie. Um but I kind of love it. I I think it's I think it's so much fun. So. Yeah, I felt like maybe some of it could have been inspired. I don't know what year it was made, but um some of the fun with the filmmaking and the characters uh it's like they wanted to go more extreme, but it is restrained in budget, it's restrained in uh, a lot of senses but I don't know I was kind of thinking about Korean cinema when we were watching it I was kind of weird but I'm like like the Bong Joon-ho version of this movie uh, like would be off the rails and I wonder yeah. if there was something about it that was sort of like uh, in love with some of those those more like wild extremist uh, movies that were coming out of um korea in the early 2000s i know it hit its stride in the 2010s but um yeah i don't know like it's just cool to to see some of some of that cut through what could have been sort of a run of the run of the mill um drama thriller comedy thing kind of becomes more eccentric and more zany um than what you would expect especially by the end i mean yeah that one helicopter shot you know what i'm talking about where he uh, like runs out of the room. That's yeah, all I can yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh wow, this is uh <laughs> this is kind of kind of crazy, you know? Yeah. Um so yeah, I I recommend it. I thought it was um a lot of fun. Good job Juzo on bringing his stack of Blu-rays and thank <laughs> you again Tim for 
putting up with the selection that you didn't necessarily want to watch. So, mm. Cameron, did you, how has your last week been? Uh, did you watch anything else besides that? No, no, I, I haven't uh, watched anything really yeah, other than that. But we, I did want to mention, we were talking about how um, how different the process goes into watching a movie for like four people than it is for watching like even just two people or, or one person. Like yeah. it's a very, um, <laughs> it's a very unique process. You have to have something that's, that's not too like labor intensive in terms of your brain and also like something that's kind of funny or, or, you know, has, has an element that you can, you can make fun of together. Um, yeah, it's a hard, it's honestly, it's a, it's kind of a harder, um, harder thing to do than you might expect. But you, you were saying like how you have, you've, you've perfected the formula sometimes, you know, you found a good, a good ratio. There are certain, there, I feel like there are certain movies that are definitely crowd pleasers and mm. probably it's because of my experience on this show. I mean, I think the last example I talked about was catch me if you can. Yeah. We watched, uh, at, around Christmas time. And I just pulled that one out because I was like, well, it was really good. And sure enough, it seemed like everybody liked it when we watched it. So, um, yeah, no, it's definitely tough. I think especially watching at home, the theater, I think, is different. I mean, it seems like big groups go to see movies that you don't necessarily have to see in a big group yeah. at all or wouldn't want to. But like I think about, um, I don't know, like Oppenheimer probably doesn't work at the home party but it, <laughs> yeah. it works good, good enough for a group to go see in the theaters because of the viral side of it. I don't know. It would be an interesting topic to explore, maybe a Patreon discussion um, mm. in the future. Maybe like a a ranking or, or a presentation for why it's the best crowd pleaser movie. That would be, that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, um, yeah, I would. Well, if you haven't watched anything else, Cameron, we can uh, get right into the show. I know we usually have a much longer intro because... Juzo is going through the 27 movies that he's watched. <laughs> um, but uh, no, this is Cinema Spectator. Uh, we review movies each and every Tuesday. If you enjoy the show, you can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Throw a couple dollars our way. Get access to the exclusive bonus content that we try to put out monthly. Uh, we have a, a list of different commentary tracks you can listen to and some side conversations on there as well. Uh, you can also have your questions read on the show. None of our patrons write in, so you at least get uh, one question a week <laughs> if you can message us on patreon um so patrons just a reminder you can message us on patreon i get a ping right away in the inbox so uh, let us know if you have a question about ozu uh, something you've been watching if you just want to tell us a recent movie experience we'd love to have it on air if you don't have a few dollars it's all good send us a message on social media or give the show a rating and share it with friends and family if you enjoy it uh, if you like it we really appreciate all the support and you being here for our little production. It's been a lot of fun. We've done a lot of movies at this point, Cameron. Uh, sometimes have. I'm looking through the list and my head starts spinning. I'm like, man, I can't even remember half the movies we've watched at this point. I've no, it is one true. of you. Yeah. <laughs> I've become one of you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going through uh, Ozu, Cameron, uh, maybe cap off the last two weeks uh, if people haven't been with us. And then give us a little summary on this movie. We'll get into it. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, um, you mentioned Juzo. Uh, he was supposed to be here, but in a in a rare reflection of art reflecting real life, 
he he fell ill on the train uh going back from oh uh, no from oakland or from uh from san jose no. on uh <laughs> on uh oh. friday so you know hopefully hopefully things don't happen in the same way that they do in this movie so, you know no spoilers but um yeah so we've been we've been cataloging uh yazajira ozu um the sort of classic uh mid-century uh japanese filmmaker who um you know very uh very grounded very um simple filmmaker in what he does stylistically um but many of his movies are about sort of the changing of the times especially in post-war japan um the modernization of japan um the feeling of isolation between your family and your um your work uh which is something that will you know certainly go into in in you know this discussion um tokyo story is his best known movie i think it's his most uh well-renowned movie you know it frequently tops the top hundred movies of all time on, you know, AFI or, um, you know, all these lists that come up. Um, so this is, you know, this is certainly his, uh, most respected movie, I think, uh, generally. And, and a lot of times when people know Ozu, they don't know any of his other movies. They're like, what the, the spring or the autumn or whatever, you know? And then they're like, oh, but I know Tokyo story. You know, I've heard of Tokyo story and, you know, it's a weird phenomenon that I've found where people who have, um, you know, people who have never been exposed to Ozu, they get recommended Tokyo story first. And then they like, that's the only one that they've watched and they kind of don't get it, <laughs> you know, which is, which is a little odd. I mean, I understand like, um, but I'll just say I wouldn't necessarily want to, to thrust someone into this movie as their like first experience with Ozu. Um, particularly because his movies already are a little hard or a little, you know, alienating. Sometimes they can be complex, and I think this movie is a more complex version of of what he's he's trying to discuss. And the way that I programmed your exposure to it, Isaac, is I wanted to start simple. I wanted to start with sort of the core tenets of his his philosophy, um, and then kind of make this a stepping stone. And and you know, we started with the Only Son, which is a movie that's very simply about these same ideas, right? Um, and then we moved on to. Uh, to late spring, which is another movie that's that's um, more complex, a little bit more intimate, has this kind of um, fa- father daughter relationship, uh, but is mirroring a lot of the same things that go on in in the rest of his work. Um, and then this, as kind of the, in some ways, the capstone of of his of his work of his you know life. This is a movie that is very much about the core themes of what an Ozu movie is. Um, and and one of the reasons why I like it and why I think it works so well is it follows from the parent's perspective, um, you know, for most of the movie. And it kind of has this this guiding idea of the parents being outsiders and then you get to learn more about the children's lives 
as the parents are learning more about the children's lives. And I think that reflection really holds through throughout the whole movie um, and kind of ends in this very dramatic and climactic way that I think really works. Um, for me, I think I said this last week, but um, Tokyo Story is not my favorite Ozu movie. Um, you know, it's not that I dislike it or I, you know, like it any less than, than some of his other movies. Um, it's just not the one that I feel most connected to personally. And I think a lot of what works about Oz's movies is you, you have to have a sort of a deep feeling between the characters. You have to have this, this sort of, um, connection to, to what's going on in the story that really holds you through it. Um, and this movie, I, I don't want to say I'm not connected to the story, but because it's from the parents' perspective, because it's you know on that level, I do think it's a little bit um, less like gripping for me. Um, but that's kind of just a personal preference thing. I think this movie is really a masterwork in the ideas of um, of what he's trying to to do, and it spans sort of this this you know, post or the, the, it's, it spans the pre-war generation, um, into the, the world war two generation. And then it kind of touches briefly on the legacy of that and the, the kids of the, um, of the post-war or of the war generation. Um, and there's so many like little surprises throughout that I think really keep this movie intriguing um and that i yeah that i really can't help but enjoy um every time i watch it so i'm curious to see what you thought about it have you have you wrapped your your mind around the experience yet are you still bored and alienated <laughs> are you uh you know what's what's kind of your thoughts about it yeah well i think first and foremost you're totally right in in um saying that you have programmed my expectations almost like calibrated me to experience Tokyo story. I think if I watched this movie without the prior context, um, I don't think I could have appreciated a lot of what this, this movie is doing. Um, with that being said, watching Ozu movies back to back, <laughs> I'm finding to be like, not the best um thing because because they are so similar you know there there's like a similarity uh between each one that there were moments in this film where i was like is this late spring like it's literally like the same uh actors like interacting with each other so uh it kind of is throwing me off a little bit here and there but um I think it's important with this director to be able to identify the formula, um, accept the formula for what it is. And then you can find, uh, visiting his films sort of lets you, it, it, it allows you to like really appreciate what is happening. Um, because I think Ozu's film making is, is not for a modern audience. I don't think it, it really makes sense at all to the average movie viewer. Um, and if you do strike 
like if you do end up really enjoying it and loving it on your first viewing, I think there's you, you almost got lucky. Uh, last week we talked about um, late spring. That's what it was, right? Early yeah. spring, late spring, late. I don't spring. even know. Um, but uh, like with Juzo on the show, he he really resonated with that personally, and I didn't. You know, there was just something about it where it's like, I didn't have that inherent connection. You're talking about that same sort of disconnect with this movie uh, for yourself in some regards, not in every regard. Um, As much as I was semi frustrated watching this movie because I felt like I was watching the same movie for the third time. This time it was just longer. um, I did find myself the most moved by this film out of Mm. all three. And, uh, it had an effect on me that was, um, sort of like reflecting into my life's past and future. There's like this strange wallowing regret that kind of, like kind of flows over you. And I think it's, um, I think what I loved about this movie just like what I enjoyed about uh, the only son is that I think it's core themes and messages are still relevant today. Yeah. Uh, They, they are, they do still feel like modern uh, things that people deal with. And for me, late spring felt less like that because of, I, I don't know why it did. Um, maybe it was something around the arranged marriages. I I can see the argument that people would say, yeah, like it is still modern, you know, you know, kids have to get out of the house and stuff, but there's something about it that seemed different um, to me. Whereas this movie, I was like, it could have been made, uh, in a modern way and it would still make complete sense, you know? Totally. Um, so yeah, I was frustrated with the start. I was frustrated with trying to figure out you know, who's who, what's even going on with the family tree. You've got grandma and grandpa and they have four kids. Um, they have five kids, but four. No. It, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. I so they, that, so the, um, the way that it goes and I guess we'll just lay out the, the tree. Um, so the, the husband and the wife, uh, you know, the grandma and grandpa, um, they had four, uh, they had five kids over their time. Um, they had one son, um, one daughter next, uh, another son who died in the war, um, who was married to Noriko, who is Setsukahara. Um, and then they have a youngest son and a youngest daughter. Um, the youngest oh, daughter is it. the one who, who lives with them. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the family's a little bit larger and you're only, introduced to the eldest son who's the doctor uh and his wife and the two grandchildren that are these like kind of obnoxious boys (laughs) the beginning of the movie sort of does this thing where you see a three generation um gathering yeah that yeah that i think is still a very modern um experience where uh the middle generation being the son and wife are trying to juggle parenting with hosting and working. And so it's sort of like this very relatable scene where the parents 
are kind of in over their heads and they seem um, disconnected because of all the, the work that they're dealing with, with their kids, with their actual jobs, with their finances, trying to, trying to still, you know, please the parents in a way. Then you see uh, the grandparents who feel um, kind of like a burden. They, they don't really, they want to be there. Uh, they want to spend time with them, but they also feel like this um, sort of guilt for being there. Uh, and they, they're really easygoing, but there's also kind of that stinge of like, I don't know, like it's just like a very, um, it's something I feel like I've already experienced and witnessed (laughs) in my life you know uh and then there's the grandkids that are just disconnected because they don't want anything to do with any of it you know and And they probably never met the the grandparents either or like it's implied that they really haven't you know with since they were born or whatever because they live far away and and then the the these kids are so obnoxious and bratty like the whole time it's it's kind of hilarious it's some of my favorite parts of the movie um are just how how terrible (laughs) the kids are and like there's one point where um like the the son who is a doctor sort of in town um he's supposed to take them all to to go somewhere um and he uh you know he gets called away because of a a sick kid in the neighborhood and the the kids are so annoyed that they can't go, you know, do whatever they had planned to do. And he, he starts like throwing something down the hallway. <laughs> and it's just right. like, it's, it's a, it's a funny moment, but. I love the scene after that, uh, mm-hmm. with, uh, the grandma and the little kid picking the stuff in the field. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the grandma has like this, like, that I think that's where the movie kind of made a turn. That's probably like 20 minutes in for me. Uh where the grandma says like like the kid is completely ignoring her, right? And you get this like amazing vista of them at the top of this hill and this like grass field and she's probably like she says something like I'm probably not even going to be around for very much longer for you to like know me or for me to even know you or something like that. Yeah. Um and that kid, like, is just still ignoring her, you know? <laughs> and uh, it's sort of like, um, it's tough because I think we've all been that grandkid at, at one point, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Um, and so that's where I was like, this movie is is digging into some stuff that um, that's, that's really special. Um, I don't know, like, there there's scenes like that where I'm, I'm thinking like the generational conversation is always fascinating to me. It's something that I'm, um, I feel like personally, um, invested in. I'm very, I feel very like, um, committed to my family, which is extremely large. And it seems like, like, I, I, I really, I think my mom is probably the one that instilled like trying to keep, everybody together even though it seems to be incredibly unrealistic um and you have to you kind of have to like roll with it these these family situations and then like kind of the um sort of like the the strange thing that i've experienced in in growing up in my age range is it's like the family always gets together for weddings which is always joyful and they always get together for funerals which mm-hmm. is like a very weird 
dichotomy to experience. This movie goes a little bit into the funeral thing, but it doesn't touch on the wedding thing. And I've like over the last five years of my life, like seeing family in one of those two contexts and that's it is like always disappointing for me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm like, why does it always have to come to either, you know, a brand new life, you know, or death, right? <laughs> to get people together, you know, sure, it's it's, sure. it's pretty dramatic, right? Uh, well, and so I would I say d- that's that's kind of the main, um, you know, the dramatic impulse of this movie is that there's, um, you know, the grandparents they're coming in to visit. They want to to you know spend time with their kids. They want to you know be there and hang out with their grandkids. Um, and when they get there they're kind of disappointed that that there's you know everybody seems to be kind of giving them the cold shoulder a little bit um they're not really they're they're more of an imposition than they are you know welcome guests in in a lot of ways um and at one point in the movie i mean they even uh kind of pawn them off to like a spa uh in in like you know a little bit outside of tokyo because they're like, oh, we can't can't deal with my parents anymore. You know, I, <laughs> I right, uh, right. They're um, not they're not very good kids. Their parents don't seem that bad. No, I know. know. Yeah, that, and that's kind of the the awful tragedy of the movie in in a lot of ways. Is like the the all of the kids are being super selfish. The only one who takes time out of her day is Noriko, who is not uh, their kid. It's their um, you know, late son's, uh, well, uh, you know, former wife. So, you know, this, this contrast between their own kids having, um, you know, no, basically no time of day for them. Um, especially like the, the daughter <laughs> who is, um, you know, I, who's not very nice. Let's say she's, she's kind of the one who, who has the most conflict throughout the movie. It even starts with her like calling her mom fat, which right, is right. another kind of it's it's kind of a funny moment, but it's also like a little bit harsh. You're like, oh my gosh, like like that's that's a mean thing to say about your mom. Um, and uh, you know, and that that energy kind of carries throughout the movie of of her being like kind of disrespectful to, towards her parents. Um, and Koichi, who's the the son, who's the doctor, um, he also kind of has this. Um, it's like a little bit of standoffishness, but it's more so he's just working, he's busy, he's a doctor. You know, he can't can't take care of you know them. He, they can't stay. They also have you know the two kids, so it's like where are they gonna stay? Um, and then and and then Chige, who's the um, who's the daughter, like really just just can't (laughs) basically doesn't have the the time of day for them um and noriko is the one who takes time off work and goes on trips with them and you know invites them to to her house and is is the most involved in making them have making them feel welcome um more so than than their own kids yeah yeah i i the dynamics were interesting. Um, Noriko, she, I, I found the way that they structured her to be something that I thought about a lot. 
um, with the spouse being the one most welcoming and the kids being the most rude to the parents. Yeah. Like when you think about it that way and then you go to a family gathering, it's really weird <laughs> experience, you know, Definitely. where it's like the spouses are being kind of like saints and the, and the kids are just, I don't even know what's happening. You know, I sometimes look at my siblings and they're like, where's the food? And I'm like, <laughs> you guys like, <laughs> it's it's like are we the villains are we the bad kids you know it kind of feels like it sometimes you know yeah well and that's even true um you know not just with noriko but also with chige's husband who like brings home these like cakes for the uh for the parents you know and it's like is like oh we should take them out and blah blah, blah you know um, yeah, yeah like that's that's true with the with the other ones too i i don't remember if there's a scene like that with fumiko who's the who's koichi's wife i don't remember if there is a scene like that but um but yeah but i mean it's it is kind of that funny contrast of like the kids are like whatever they don't need you know don't bring home those cakes they, they're fine with crackers like it's whatever you know yeah. they don't care yeah um you know yeah yeah so i mean the movie kind of progresses with introducing these different dynamics you get that uh, noriko is obviously a very sweet person um, having that loyalty after her husband died. And that's something that they, the grandparents bring up a lot. Like, Hey, we want you to remarry. Like, it's okay. I've since my parents are the youngest uh, in the family. Like I've, we have people in our family like that. Mm-hmm. Um, people that like my mom's sister passed away. Like when I was younger. Right. And then, um, we have an we have an uncle right that has cousins that are part of the family, but he's like he's still part of the family, you know. Even though he's remarried and his remarried wife is like, so it, I always find that interesting because as a kid you're like, oh, that's just that's just my uncle, you know, whatever, and that's his that's his new wife. But you don't really think about kind of the complexity yeah. of that situation, you know, in in the family uh, and and what that does. Um, yeah, so it's. It, yeah, that I, I feel like they did a great job kind of covering all the different bases of like the youngest kid um, weirdly having the wisdom because they're at the house the longest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, being like, you guys, like, I'm still here with mom and dad and like nobody understands really what's going on um, and kind of how helpless that position is. And then, um, yeah, the grandkids are kind of that intro three generation scene. Um, but you really learn to love and spend time with um, the grandparents. Yeah. And uh, definitely one of the highlights is um, the husband going out with his friends in Tokyo. Um, that is a an awesome, awesome uh, scene. I think my favorite part is um, when they're at the bar talking about their kids being a disappointment. Mm-hmm. I had like this impulsive like desire to clip it and put it on TikTok Cause I'm like, I really do feel like people today would love this scene. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of those scenes where uh, his friend is like, my son is a disappointment. And the grandpa's like, you can't be so hard on your kids. You know, like it's disappointing, but it's like also like, you know, they are doing the best they can, you know? And I just found that, sort of contrast of two ideas 
I don't know. Like it was, it. I feel like it hit true. Um, it's just hitting true still. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't know if you remember me talking about um, how like those are my favorite scenes in a lot of Ozu movies is when there's that um, pulling back that layers of like, you know, you're you're in this group and they're talking about how, you know, their lives and, you know, they they've reconnected after a long time. Right. These were like old buddies before the war or whatever. Um, and you know, they're, they're hanging out at dinner and they're chatting and whatnot. And then they go to the bar and they're, they're drunk. And, you know, at this point, sort of the truth and the honesty spills over and they, they really talk about what's going on in their lives. And like, those are some of my favorite scenes in these Ozu movies. It's like when there's that real point of connection after like a good scene, you know, it'll be like 10 minutes of, of kind of this facade you know, this, this barrier between these people. And then when it all comes down, there's, there's moments of, of honesty. Um, I just, I love it. I, I love hanging out with, you know, the dad and his, his friends. Um, you know, I just think, I think those are the moments that are so special, um, in a movie like this, where it's like this, this sort of revelatory sense and I, I don't know if you also remember, but um, I talked about how, you know, that shot reverse shot that he does, um, the very stark, you know, it's facing you. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times that's the when something serious is happening in a scene or when something re- gets revealed, when there's this um, shift in the conversation, he'll he'll move to this close up. Um, and you can see it perfectly in that scene. You know, that's when, you know, they're all kind of, they're in like a three row thing, you know, and they're, they're all drinking and, and talking and then it gets closer and then it gets, you know, into that shot reverse shot. Um, and it's, it's really neat. I, I love seeing how he, how he blocks that scene. That's like what I'm thinking about when I, when I watch a scene like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's also one of those moments where, I found myself being like, I hope I can, I hope I get old enough to have moments like this too. You know, Mm -hmm. there's something about it where it's like, oh man, like, uh, it made me, um, like I already, you already are enjoying parts of your life, even if you choose to enjoy them now or not. Right. Uh, you have like these get togethers and things like that and, and you can, you take them for granted so often, but it's like, I don't know, like a scene like that, you're like, dang, like, hopefully I can still have stuff like that when I'm older, you know, <laughs> you're so open. Yeah. You gotta keep, gotta keep walking or something, you know, uh, to make sure that happens. But, um, yeah, no, a super powerful scene. Uh, again, like it was one of those moments that just talking about a, a more modern audience, I was like, a modern audience would want to see this. They need to see this, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, I think that was probably the core highlight for me. Um, and then obviously you get kind of the dramatic element. Um, I don't know what else we'd have to talk about before the parents leave, uh, from Tokyo. I know that you have all the, um, uh, stuff with, uh, the daughter-in-law and um, the mother 
I know there's and and then there's kind of the funny scene with the the grandpa coming back drunk. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is <laughs> which is fun. Uh, but then they you know they kind of leave for the um they leave for back home and then they get the call that uh I guess spoilers you know grandma's basically very sick she's not gonna she's not doing well uh i think it's kind of clear to the audience you're like okay yeah i mean they've kind of been alluding to this right she's Mm -hmm. gonna pass away they didn't want to spend time with her when she was there right and with them so now they'll you know have to answer the call now um yeah and it's really sad to see you know some of the older kids be like well let's get in and get out as fast as possible uh it seems like there's sort of that um there's like different responses to the funeral of you know the eldest son um sort of being like i you know the doctor being like i'm i'm here and i'm not emotional and i'm kind of just here to make sure everything happens the way it's supposed to and then i gotta jump on the train and get back home right yeah um and the eldest daughter being like i'm here sort of for the jewelry or i'm here to get whatever i'm supposed to get then i'm out of here uh, and then Noriko seeming to be there for emotional reasons. So she's definitely still painted as a very good person. But the other responses of like um, the youngest son just being like, I can't handle this, you know, like emotionally, like he's like emotionally unable to do it. Right. Whereas Noriko is shown as like emotionally able. Right. Yeah. Emotionally available. Um, and then the youngest daughter kind of just being frustrated with her entire family. Um, and then to witness the tragedy of, of, you know, grandpa and like how he's just kind of like, yeah, like everybody's just going and leaving. And, um, it's weird. Cause I live like my experience growing up is that we lived close to my grandparents, mm-hmm. which I think is super important to avoid the toxicity that you see in this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I'm not saying if you didn't live near your grandparents or you didn't know your grandparents, you're screwed. But uh, I think that it's it, it really builds an important side to your character. It, Jules and I actually, my, my wife Jules and I, we talk about this all the time because uh, she had her grandparents living with her uh, as a kid, which I think is um, for I guess their like their kind of um, cultural uh, bring up her parents. Like that's kind of part of how her parents were raised with the grandparents in the house. I think that's super important. I think that's, I mean, I used to, uh, my mom used to take us over to my grandparents' house, like for seven years in a row is basically my grandpa just decayed away. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was around like kind of the grandparents that like you couldn't even hang out with. Um, you know, so, uh yeah it was it's uh i don't even know where where i'm going with this but i think the uh oh oh this is where i'm going with the youngest daughter um because i grew up in a home where it was like we were the host for the funerals and we were the host for the weddings right and then to see everybody dip out quickly afterwards and we would still have to go see uh grandma after Mm -hmm. grandpa died and it it was always weird it was like super weird seeing grandma after (laughs) grandpa died well i had two i had two grandmas right one one of my grandma my grandma bobby who i interviewed on the first podcast we did um 
her response to grieving was uh, life, which was weird. She was like, well, I'm going to go live my life. He finally kicked the bucket and I'm going to party. And I was like, this is such a weird response. But I didn't realize how wise of a response it was because um, my grandma Bobby was basically like, come on, like you guys are young. Let's go do something, you know? Yeah. And that really connected me with her um, in a way that's like, a lot deeper than I think most grandparents uh, care to try. I think my grandma was um, born in a different generation that connected with, she was just, she was just different than she didn't act old. I think that's what it was. Mm -hmm. That was so, so interesting. Whereas my, my other grandma, when my grandpa passed away, like she had more of the, uh, the grandpa in this movie's energy where she's wearing the robe and kind of, wandering around and it's very sad but there's also like a piece of like yeah well you know it is kind of what it is you know and it's it's really hard to be in a situation with a grandparent like that for the for the kids like my my dad was kind of like man like i don't know what to do but we're gonna be here as much as we can and it's obviously not enough but you can't really do much more at that point, you know? Yeah. Um, to being a, a grandkid in that situation, it's really weird. You know, you really don't know what to do. Uh, and then seeing all the family just go right away and you're like, okay, <laughs> we still have to go over there on Sundays, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like ghost town or something. Um, yeah. I think this movie, the fact that I'm like getting that personal, uh, with this film is what made me um, really like it more than I wanted to, I think. Um, Cause watching it is tough. I had a hard, I had a hard time getting through cause it's so long, but so many of the, the themes connected with me on a personal level um, that it's like, yeah, like I get it. You know, I get why Tokyo story is so, appreciated and and so loved once you understand the the ozu formula Um, yeah well i I don't care is is there anything you want to say and then i i i want to i want to finish reviewing up this movie and getting through some thoughts and then i want to talk about ozu uh from a modern perspective a little bit before we close out but go ahead yeah no i was just gonna say like i love those moments like i think the end of the movie is its most sort of um emotional you know and it it kind of really really punches you in a lot of ways like Mm -hmm. that moment between noriko and um and i think his name is keizo um who's the the younger son um, yeah who comes in late you know he 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 comes in off the train after she dies and um you know there's this there's this really sad moment where he's like he's like i was afraid that was gonna happen i should have taken the 8 30 train you know blah 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 um, kind of beating himself up, up over it. And um, and then Noriko and, and him go on, you know, outside. Um, and, you know, he, he basically says, like, I wasn't a good son. Um, and now it's too late. You know, my... Right. You can't be... You can't be a good son now that they're... After they're dead. Yeah, you can't um, serve them after they're dead, right? Yeah, and and there's something very like, 
very strong about that feeling, right? You know, the, the, the that's the whole message of the movie in some ways is like these kids who are so, you know, busy with their lives and so, you know, um, inconsiderate of, of their parents are, um, you know, they're shocked by the fact that their, their mom has died and, and now they can't go back. They can't treat her well again. You know, there's no, there's no taking that back. And then even in death, some of them are still selfish. You know, some of them are still, um, self-centered about, about how they treat things. Mm. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just a really strong, um, it's a strong point to make. And I love, I, I just love sort of the, the breakdown of, of how he does that. Um, how he weaves these characters that, you know, the, the mom and dad, you really like them. They're really charismatic. You know, they've got something about them where you're like, I, you know, you'd want to hang out with them. You'd want to go drinking with the dad or you'd want to go, you know, ride around Tokyo. And it's like, there's something very sweet about them. Um, and to see them being treated poorly is, is kind of, it's kind of sad throughout that whole movie. Um, you know, and then, and then obviously that ending sequence with the father and Noriko, where he, he basically says like, um, she really appreciated you, you know, she mm. appreciated that you, um, took time out of your day and you, you did the most for us, even though you're not a blood relative, um, you know, so yeah, there's there, and it's it's a very emotional scene between the two of them, um, and I love it. So that that's kind of the that's the power of of this movie in a lot of ways, and I think that that breaks through even to today. Um, and I I do think as much as this would not be a movie that I could recommend necessarily to a modern audience, um, this is a movie that I think speaks to a modern audience regardless yeah. of if the form doesn't or if you know there's challenges getting into it um i think it's a movie that really has has wise words about about you know what it's trying to say um i don't know i think it does i think it does a great job and as much as you know as much as it's a tough movie to chew in a lot of ways like all ozu movies are um there is something brilliant about it. I, I, I can't, you can't deny that there's, um, there's a lot of heart and wisdom to it. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree hundred percent. I, um, I think that, I think that the movie, again, like I didn't want to like it, um, but it got me, you know? And, uh, I just feel like what you said at the beginning with the context of what we've been covering on, on Ozu is so true. This is not, this should not be your first Ozu movie. Understand the formula. You'll appreciate it way more after that. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that the film does a great job um, with, with still staying modern somehow. And I don't, <laughs> I like can't I kind of can't believe how um timeless it is in some ways. Um it's it's quite surprising. I yeah, I, I just I still think it is um 
it is still tough for me to recommend despite all of that. Um, and I think it's because I feel biased. Um, just, I mean, ta- like I'm literally talking through like kind of my emotions around my own grandparents and whatnot. And it's like, yeah, it, it, it hit, it hit a chord with me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's sort of like, I just, I just feel conflicted around, uh, the recommendation. And, um, this is where I kind of wanted to dig into like Ozu as like a filmmaker. I don't, I'm like usually within three weeks of watching a director, (laughs) I have like a pretty good idea of like where I stand with them. Mm -hmm. And usually the programming makes me, um, quickly decide my emotions around the director. This this has probably been the most challenging director we've covered. Oh yeah. 100%. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And, um, it's not even for the reasons that the, that the movies are like, um, you know, maybe, maybe they're too grotesque or something, or maybe like it's, it's none of that, you know, it's, it's just that, um, yeah, it just, it's just, hard to get into these movies for me uh, as a modern viewer. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, no doubt about it. (laughs) At the same time watching them, I'm like, there's clearly value here. Um, There's something about them that, that reminds me of like study of literature or -hmm. something like that. Um, Where I feel like, and you come from a background of, of studying film in college. Like this is totally academic film. Um, I can, t- I see that 100% and it's valuable. I do think it's like a valuable academic film. Um, yeah. But like where I'm struggling is, is there, there are movies that are, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like there are movies that are more difficult to get into that I enjoy and that I think, there like there's like a an audience that can get with it i mean a, a good play example time. for me uh, yeah playtime playtime's a good one right like i could see it being like 50 50 a modern audience could get behind it you know yeah um with ozu it's like man how can you watch this <laughs> without being an academic i don't i don't know i don't know if you can because you really have to consider what is happening in front of you, you know? <laughs> and you have to also be able to like flow state with it. So it's like you, you have yeah. to be like analytical and like educated enough in film viewing to allow it to sort of just wash over you. Like you can't just do like the, the normal movie viewer, like can't do that usually, you know? No. Yeah. They, uh, I think, I think anybody, yeah, basically almost everybody is, would come into a movie like Tokyo story um, and come out and be like, well, that was boring. You know, like that, that would be their, th- probably their, their big takeaway. If they're being honest with themselves, I think there's some people who will like, you know, because it's so well known or because it's so, um, you know, renowned, they like trick themselves into like liking yeah, it, yeah. you know? Yeah, of course. Um, but if they're being honest with themselves, it's like, wow, that was super boring. And like, yeah, I get, I get it maybe, but, um, but I'm not sure I liked any of that. 
you know? Right. And, right. and that's one thing that, um, like, I love what you said about how, how it's, it's very like literature. Like, um, the movies are very, um, they, they want you to lean in as hard as you can. You know, they want you to, to give your attention to the movie. Um, they really are not going to grab your attention at all. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no, you know, redirecting your, your mindset. There's no like focusing you. Um, sometimes they do the exact opposite. They'll, you know, focus on a train for a little bit, you know, or, or some random building or something, you know, that like, like they, they're doing these things sometimes I think intentionally to, to, to make you like want to reach a little deeper, want to pay attention a little more. Um, so you kind of see yourself s- slipping and being like, oh yeah, I wasn't paying attention. What, what's going on? You know, like right, I, right. I'm recentering myself. Um, and I, I really, I do think that's an off putting experience for most, <laughs> for most viewers. And I, I, I will say, you know, as someone who loves and appreciates and, and really, really respects these movies, um, they're not ones that I go around being like, Oh, have you seen this Ozu movie? Like you would really like it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, right. like, I don't I mean, think I've like ever mental- said that I, sentence. <laughs> I was mentally exhausted by the end of this movie. I mean, yeah. just, just like trying to keep up with what was happening. There's the language barrier. There's the time barrier. And then they're also connecting with me on an emotional level. Right. So I just feel, I almost felt like the film was too long, but also I didn't have enough time to understand it. You know, like it's like this weird mm-hmm. uh, sort of like struggle with it. Um, and when I was thinking afterwards, I was like, who, who would, who do I know that I could recommend this movie to? Who do I know that, that I could literally recommend it and, and know that they might get something out of it. And the only people I could think of was my uncle, Dan, my uncle, Dan is a, uh, I think he's now retired. He's a now retired professor who dedicated his entire life to studying all of the work of this author named Chaucer. So he's done Mm -hmm. like tons of research on, on Chaucer and, uh, it's like this old English author or something like that. Yeah. No, I have no idea anything about Chaucer. But have you read my, the Canterbury Tales? No. Oh, yeah. my uh, my my uncle's life's work is on <laughs> studying him and and basically writing dissertations and and theories about him and his life and things like that. And I was like, I bet you Uncle Dan would like Tokyo Story. Mm. Just something about it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I know he would be analytical enough, academic enough, uh, to really sit, comprehend, and and consider. And that's something we do on the show a lot with movies. And even this was like, uh, <laughs> like and this month has been has has been quite challenging for uh, reasons that I don't usually say are challenging. Usually, it's like the content or. Uh, I mean, I guess in, in, in a certain case, like you could just say, I, I or I could say the pace of this movie um, was just slow, but I even don't know if that's what made it the most challenging. I mean, like Monica Mana is slow, right? <laughs> uh, this this is like slow and 
what you cannot like Monica Mani, you can kind of zone mentally out. zone, you know? <laughs> yeah, 100%. You can kind of be like, all right, this is the goats, you know? I can kind of not have to pay attention, but I am, but I'm not, you know? This movie, like, you cannot do that. Uh, and it's quite frustrating as a viewer. Like, yeah. No, I get, I get what you mean because there's, there's really important information in like every scene, you know? Right. Like right. every scene, you're kind of, you're kind of get, getting this new feature. And there's there is something complex. This is the the most complex movie, um, Ozu movie that that we've watched um, in terms of characters, in terms of you know scenario, what's happening. All of these different things are are sort of going on individually. Um, and and you're right that it's it's a lot of it's a lot of putting things together in your mind. Like the other two that we watched were really singular stories. Like, and that's why I kind of picked them first. Cause you know, I think the only son is like so perfect for an introduction to Ozu. Yes. yes. You know, it is like, it's the most distilled version of his stories, what he's trying to get at later on. Obviously the challenge with that movie is like, I wish it was preserved better and like there's there's issues, you know, and, and it's an early sound film. So, you know, it's hard to hard to to get into in that way. But because of the content, you know, you're really familiar with with the things that are happening. And and it's very, you know, it's very condensed. It's like a, a condensed version of of Tokyo Story, um, you know, and and the, the Tokyo Story is is much more challenging in a lot of ways but i think more fulfilling too i think yeah tokyo story has this sense of like there's like a sense of finality with the movie where it's like this is what i've been trying to say for so long you know this is my sort of message to the world is like treat your parents well it, it really is the parable of of you know the the what is it? The sons and the, ten- I don't know. There's a parable about, um, being good to your parents. I forget which one it is. Um, mm. but you know, it's, it's, it's really, you know, essentially that, that same idea stretched in this sort of complex way. Um, and it also dips into, you know, I think the other side that is the other side of Ozu's filmography that's m- more neglected in in this movie, I think, though it still shows up in little ways, is like a lot of his films have to deal with sort of readjusting to a modern world, um, getting used to the way that things are now, um, sort of you know the older generation not being able to cope with uh, with the loss of the war in, in a lot of ways. Um, and that kind of comes out later in his in his movies because I think they're like right on the edge of being um, past the censorship period in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it sort of comes up later in in a lot of his movies where it's it's a lot of contemplation about um, what the war even was about and why there's you know all this pain and all this suffering from from the younger generation when, you know, there's not much gain about it. And there's like an alienation between the older generation and the younger generation. And that, that definitely comes through in this movie, but 
um, it's got different shades in a lot of his other movies. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I have I one final. You, oh yeah, I have. Oh, I you can wrap up in a second, but I have one final confession for you, Cameron. Okay. <laughs> Last week you mentioned that Criterion Collection had a fast forward button. You can oh, watch no. it at a higher speed. This you just didn't. this supports my my last claim. If you try to watch this movie at a higher speed, it will force you to slow it down, <laughs> uh, which is even more frustrating. That's um, great. I'm glad that yeah. it made you made you slow down because trying to watch it at a little bit higher speed was still so. It, it was like like my I couldn't even blink. <laughs> is what it felt like which was it was like the scene in uh in clockwork where he's got his eyes i was like i can't do this you know i can't even pay attention when it's like one speed let alone 1.5 speed i can't and then i can't even understand what's happening so i had to go back and it was even more frustrating so um i think i was just my own my own short attention span demon in this i'm glad it so. i'm glad it punished you for for trying to do that because it's not it's not right <laughs> <laughs> couple a couple more things about ozu uh before we wrap up the episode i think that late spring is his prettiest movie that we've watched so far even though it was my least favorite yeah uh, i think the look and feel of that movie aesthetically was my favorite so far i thought tokyo story would be more my speed but um there was a lot about this film that felt like it was a it was remaking what the only son wanted to look like mm-hmm. um and uh i do think it's still it's still pretty but i i noticed after watching uh late spring i was like late spring there are there are frames from that film that i remember a lot more than uh tokyo story there's mm-hmm. the one on the hill in the grass that I that I'm fond of, and the scene at the bar, I really enjoyed. Um, j- visually, I'm talking just strictly visually. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting, and uh, I'm excited to get out of this month, uh, and I am excited to watch the last film because I've been excited. I've I've been hyped about the poster. I don't know why. Um. So, what are we watching next week, Cameron? Yes, so we will be watching Tokyo Twilight, um, which is kind of a, uh, I would say it's like a darker version. It's like a, it it's Ozu exploring a little bit more mature themes. Kind of has this um, a little more scandalous bent, I would mm. say. Um, so there's kind of a you know more drama, I would say. Spice it up. Ozu, spice spice it, up, it up. Yeah. It's still a little long. It's on the, you know, it's similar to, to Tokyo Story, but yeah. Um, but, you know, can't can't have I, everything. You know? I need to split it into two nights. I think it's too hard. I mean, I'm watching these at midday on Sunday and I'm uh, this movie almost exhausted. put me to sleep, too. Yeah, no, that even, it'll happen. It'll happen. Yeah, <laughs> it was more because I was like, OK, I'll, I'll watch it faster. I can't do this. So I'm just going to try to pay attention. And then I'm like kind of zoning out, like starting to fall asleep. And then I'm like, come on, man. Like, but still, still uh, got me emotional uh, by the end. So, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you liked it. I, I hope, and what I was going to say, you know, before we wrap up, um, I hope you can see why I'm passionate about these movies. Yes. Yes. Um, like these are movies that I've gained so much 
from in terms of thinking about the way that I approach films, thinking about the way that I think about films. Um, a lot of my own sorts of ideas about about what makes a good film changed because I uh, fell in love with these movies. Um, and, <laughs> you know, so I, I took a whole semester class on Ozu. Um, so every week for a semester, I would sit down in my in my class. We'd watch Ozu. Um, sometimes I would fall asleep. Sometimes I would not. Um, most of the time I wouldn't. But, you know, there are some days where you're like, you're like, I literally I had class at 8 a.m. this this morning and I'm going to go into this Ozu class and I'm going <laughs> to I'm going <laughs> to, you know, stay awake. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, yeah. But. Um, 8 a.m. Wow, watching this at 8 a.m. I would not no, no, no. It, it. My class wasn't at 8 a.m. I think my oh. class. Actually, I think my. Oh, this would. Be, this was even worse than 8 a.m. What would be the only other time that would be worse than 8 a.m.? Late. Yeah, it was a 5 p.m. class. No. <laughs> <laughs> After I think I had like a morning class that day, so I had like oh, a man. big break in the middle. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway, so. Um, but I, I walked away from that class with such a great appreciation of, of what makes these movies, you know, so special. Um, and, and for me, like, I was a hater. I was such a hater for, like, half the semester, probably. Um, and then it, something just clicked in me, and it, and it started to work. And after that, I was like, wow, I just... I love these movies. I can't, I can't help, but, um, you know, love what I'm, what I'm seeing here. So, um, it's a weird thing to have such passion for, for these weird old Japanese movies, but I, I do really, really appreciate them. And I, I wanted to, I've been wanting to share them with you for a long time, Isaac. So, <laughs> well, I'm glad I, I'm able to, try to get through them this is these are um this is like the academics badge you know i i don't i can't think of a better word for i like like it's like if you want to call yourself somebody that knows film like finding appreciation for these movies is probably on on the list crazy to think that juzo was like uninterested (laughs) <laughs> Which I'm so because Juzo is the one guy that I'm like he has seen the most movies, although the older he gets, the more he becomes like me. I think definitely. He's like, I, I just want to be. I I don't want to be an academic. I just want to experience them, which is where I've always argued is the best place to be. Um, but you would miss out on uh the the special stuff that Ozu has. Well, it's um, funny because Juzo has only seen. Tokyo or before this month he had only seen Tokyo Story and I think he watched it when he was like 15 or whatever which is like the combination of things that like would turn you off forever from from being an Ozu fan (laughs) is watching a boring movie at 15 you're like I will never do this again I don't what is what is what is Ozu's most exciting movie what about that most exciting yeah what is the most exciting Ozu movie um I think you'd probably have to dip into his comedies. Excite. I mean, excited. What do you mean by exciting? They're all the same movie. He makes yeah, the same see that, movie I mean, that, that's over. kind of where it's like, 
it's like you listen to I don't know. Like that's where it gets into like the the academic music conversation or the parallel for me. Mm-hmm. Where you'll you'll there there are certain people that listen to like orchestrated stuff devoid of melody, right? Just <laughs> like basically experimental sound. Uh and then after like it is it is unlistenable if you really think about it. Like it, it's almost like not music, right? Uh, but if you listen to that long enough, you can eventually convince yourself, you know, to so many variations of that kind of music. And, and then you're like, okay, this is, this is good. You know, this is art, right? Um, I think that Ozu isn't quite that. But if all his movies are the same, maybe there is a tint of of that cynicism in me when I think about him. They're not all so. the same, obviously, but they're all like his style is his style, you know. Right. Like all of the three movies that we watched so far, have there been a lot of differences with with how he makes no. movies? No, no, not really. And that spans like a good thirty year chunk or whatever, um, twenty years or whatever. But. The more um, I do this show, the more I realize that uh, the Deer Hunter is one of the most underrated movies that people don't <laughs> talk about anymore. Uh, it is true. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great. See, that has. It's so funny. That has the Ozu element to it. Yes. You know what I yes. A hundred percent. Has that, and then it also has violence and killing people. You yes. Know? Yes. Which is it's like kind of, kind of what you want. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. Amazing. <laughs> a lot of people would say that movie's boring, you know, but uh just get halfway through it. Tell me it's boring, you know. Mm, mm. Just the get Russian all the Roulette way through scene. It. Yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> just get all <laughs> When you get uh, the thing is, when you come out on the other side of that movie, you will you will have appreciated the boring parts more than the action parts. Go listen to our Deer Hunter review. That's what I'm getting <laughs> at. And watch that movie if you haven't seen it. I don't think there's ever been a gun in an Ozu movie, so I'll just put it out there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, well, I don't have anything else to say about this movie, Cameron. I'm, I'm, I th- I'm satisfied. Are you satisfied? Anything else you want to add before we jump into the next week? No. Um, no. We still don't recommend watching it, but if you're going to, <laughs> um, you know, let us know. Comment. Uh, send us send us in a, an email screaming why did you make me watch this movie not it's even so don't send us an email send us a dissertation because that's the kind of person you would have to be to watch this yeah. movie. you know well no i mean if you didn't like it you know send us send us why you didn't like it tell us send us a, send us a tweet or a text lol that was trash <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay nobody's gonna take time out of their week to watch a movie like this but i still defend it i still love it and i'll fight to the death with anybody who says it's bad <laughs> it's uh yeah it it is clearly valuable um i think the people that can appreciate it it i can totally see it's uh it being kind of like i, I don't know like it's um it's seeping with wisdom and, and uh, meaning, you know, and it's funny how many people probably watch it and think, 
this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I can't, I can't get through this, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's the highest praise I give it, uh, for now. And I, I mean, personally, I, it, it definitely had me be, be extremely reflective. So, uh, if any of the things we talked about this episode too, like if you, if you're interested in that kind of generational state of your family, if you're, um, I don't know, like, I, I think it's, I think you can find something there the same way that Juzo talked about late spring on the last podcast. If that resonated with you, maybe you know where to jump in. Um, and I do recommend giving yourself a little bit of a, the buffer that Cameron helped with the only son. If you can get through the only son and understand the formula, you don't even have to necessarily like it, right? <laughs> just, just know what you're getting into. And then look at those two hour long movies and be like, okay, yeah. can I do this or can I not? The nice thing about the only son is it's 70 minutes. So right. it's not, right. it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, all right. Well, we post every Tuesday. Thank you guys for listening to the show till the very end. Uh, until next week, watch some more movies and message us. If you're a patron, come on, send us a message. Even if you're not, I'll give you permission to send us a message on social. Uh, hopefully my Instagram is still logged in on, on, uh, <laughs> on my phone. Cause we barely ever post on there, but, Nevertheless, we'll see you next Tuesday. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at Patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.